being very near death can have a huge impact on your psyche, on your mind, on your mental health. Have you ever almost died? Uh, some maybe have, some maybe haven't. And if you have, I probably just reminded you of something you'd rather forget. And so now you're going to spend the rest of your hour thinking about that time that you almost died. And I want to ask you to stop thinking about that and come back. So why did I even bring it up? I bring it up because being around death, certainly for any kind of prolonged period of time, changes the way we think. Death comes with a trauma. In fact, you think about it, they call those places in the hospital that... uh, that are in life-threatening situations, the trauma center of the ER. It's just when things get super critical, there's trauma involved. Last Sunday, we started chapter 11, the Gospel of John, uh, and that's where we need to return today, if you will. And as we turn, I want you to think about and empathize as we bridge last week's sermon to this week's sermon in these verses. Uh, empathize with the disciples, the Lord's disciples, His apostles, who have been under the sustained threat of death for an extended period of time. Think about living the way they were living. Think about how that might have been for them. In chapter 10, if we just go back one chapter, we see that Jesus was a hair's whisker away from being seized and stoned in that final part of the chapter. In chapter 8, verse 59, it says that they picked up stones to stone him. In chapter 7, it says that there were rioters in the crowd that wanted to seize him. And the temple guards the temple guards were sent out to arrest him. So understand that Jesus is a fugitive. A renegade escapee from their attempts to arrest him. There is an all-points bulletin out on Jesus, and the disciples are with him. And you know that living under this hypervigilance for that much time would really wear you down and get you super alert. They've taken refuge in an area 20 miles away from Judea uh, on the, the eastern side of the Jordan River. And there they are sheltered by some friendly people. Good people. People that were part of John the Baptist's gatherings at the time. Those gatherings that were hundreds of thousands strong. They are taking shelter inside the, the, the safe place of these people who are accommodating them. and Sheltering them. John the Baptist's people, which makes me smile because I think, Baptists! But... We can't really trace our lineage to them, so don't take that too far. But it does make me think I would like to have been those people who sheltered Jesus because he sure has sheltered me. When Jesus said to them, Lazarus is sick, let us go back to Judea, it's hard to blame them for having a a traumatic stress response, a post-traumatic stress response, distress after having lived under that situation for so long, now they're going back. And so understanding that the distress and the, and the emotional upset that comes with going back into that high-stress environment and, and, and atmosphere 
For Thomas to say, let us go also that we might die with him, is a, a statement that he's prepared to be martyred. He's going to go and face these horrible fears and anxieties of post-traumatic stress again. And so that's where we left off, and this is where we pick up. One thing I need to remind you, I'm sorry, before we move forward, and is that a messenger brought this message from Mary and Martha to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Uh, you know, that, that's all they said. And I just, I smile at the thought of their relationship, Jesus and Lazarus, that that's how he was known. What kind of friendship did they have? I love you, man. No, I love you, man. I don't know. But, but you can see how brothers could just, I mean, these just Christian brothers could just love each other. So, and obviously they had a sweet friendship that he didn't, they didn't have to say twice who he was. The one you love, the one you phileo like a brother is sick. And Jesus sent a response. He spoke a response in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that, the, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. We need to remember that. That's important. And Jesus refers back to that promise in the end of our reading today. So let's refocus our hearts and minds together now on what comes next. John chapter 11 beginning in verse 17. John 11, verse 17. <clears throat> On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. That's right, about 1.71 miles. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Let's pray. Lord, uh, we need this word. There are people in this hearing, God. There's people in this broadcast. There's people very likely in this room who have not yet surrendered their hearts to you. You have called us by name to come through the gate and become a part of your family, a part of your flock. We're amazed at that. Thank you. And God, we pray that today even more people will hear you call their name and they'll come and enter in through the gate that is you and become a part of your flock. God, we have Marys and Marthas here today, disciples who need strengthening, need supporting, need encouraging. God, we need our faith sustained. And Lord, we pray, uh, Lord, also that you'll use this word to change us, to make us more like you. Grow us, God, we pray. And God, there's others here today who have let, by choices they've made, by choices we've made, the stain, the stench of sin get on them. And they're hiding in their shame like a cave. God, we would ask you please today to help them remove the stone so that the glory of the sunshine can come in. We pray, God, now you use this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have four questions, and we want to go uh, as quickly as possible. We have four questions uh, for our mysterious and misunderstood life-giving Lord. And the first question that we are going to tackle, and these questions just have to be asked of this text. You just got to ask them. The first question is, Jesus, Lord Jesus, why did you wait? Why did you wait? Why did he wait? We saw uh, in verse 5 that, you know, he... He got the message about Lazarus, and it says in verse 5 through 7 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Staying two more days is a strange way to say I love you, to, to, to delay from responding And in verse 17, we see that on his arrival, he found that Lazarus was already dead in the tomb for four days. Now, knowing the timeline as we do, we know that the day that the messenger left to go tell Jesus uh, that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus died that day. He was probably dead before Jesus even heard about it. And so the best Jesus could have done is leave that moment and be two days late instead of four. But that's the best he could have done. Uh, But he'd still been dead. But Mary and Martha would have known he did his best. And to women, that's important, right? Well, at least he tried. He came as soon as he could. And I, I trust that kind of grace with me. I can mess up all over the place, but you know I'm trying, right? And that's something that Jesus could have done. He could have taken off and been two days late instead of four. But he waited. Why did he wait? He waited because there were limitations of their faith. There were limitations in their faith. There were limitations of thought and trust that Jesus was up against, that he had to tell those that follow him, guys, you've got to get over these limitations, these obstacles to your faith. 
And one of those limitations was time. Time. The four days are significant. Sherry and I went to a funeral in Indonesia a few years ago. Uh, we, uh, it was a Sundanese uh, tribal friend of ours who uh, was Muslim, and they had a death in the family, and we just cared for this family so much, and we said, can we come? And they looked at us like, because it was awkward for them to bring the, the Americans to their thing. But we loved them, and they were too sweet to tell us that that would be weird, and so they let us come. And we were in this house, this, this small little house, just packed full of people where this one leader was reading the Koran, and all the people were just kind of saying, chanting little prayers and things like that. And we didn't really understand what was going on, but we asked and kind of got informed as time went on that they actually have lots of funerals for a dead person in their tribe, in their, in their way of thinking. They have a a funeral on the third day after somebody dies, and they have a funeral on the seventh day after somebody dies, and they have a funeral on the 40th day after somebody dies, and they have a funeral on the hundredth day after somebody dies, and they have a funeral on the thousandth day. And why so many? Well, because in their way of thinking, and our friend told us, and on the third day, the person's spirit's still in the room, floating around. And so they're kind of praying a good transition for this dear person, and so they're all together chanting stuff to this person who's still in the room. On the seventh day, they believe that the person's in the doorway. Eh, they just want to pray them out, you know, just, just, just move them on, you know, help them to make a good transition to the afterlife. So they're in the door. On the 40th day, they're on the roof. And on the hundredth day, they're floating around. I guess they're, you know, checking things out. And on the thousandth day, they're hoping that this person has found their final place. Now, whether they're animist or a real strong Muslim depends on where they think that final place is. But the animists would believe, and most of them were animists, that it's a river or a pond or a lake or a tree or something. They, something in nature, they think, is they, that's where they dwell. Why am I telling you this? Because this is primitive thought that actually helps us understand the, the thought processes that were going on in this day when Jesus is going to this place. Because we have a similar belief system that Jesus is up against. The Talmud, which is a book of Jewish tradition, uh, speaks about this time in their history. And it says the whole strength of the mourning, the grieving, is not till the third day. For three days long the soul returns to the grave, thinking that it will return into the body. So the soul in their thinking has floated around and gone around and, you know, had a vacation. And now it's time to go home on the third day, and they're go it's going to go back into the body in the grave. But when it gets there, it sees the color of the face and has changed and goes away and leaves it. So when the spirit goes back and sees the face is green, I don't want any more of that and moves on. That's what they think. And so Jesus is up against this thought process in the Jewish mindset of the day and says, we're going to have to wait for four days. Because on day one, you're only a little dead. And on day two, you're just kind of mostly dead. And on day three, you're getting pretty dead. But on day four, you're really, really dead. You're finally dead. Okay? So dead, dead is when Jesus shows up. So that there can be no misunderstanding as if the people could say, well, you know, Jesus did this or that, but actually he just came back because we know that sometimes that could happen. Jesus gets way beyond the limitation of their timeline, of their faith. 
Why did Jesus wait? Time and distance. Both sisters said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Martha says it in verse 21, and, and Mary says it in verse 32. And both sisters say the same thing. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's the same thing. They've been talking about it. But as they sit around and grieve and mourn, they're talking about this. This has become the, the chorus of their thoughts together. Oh, if he'd have just been here. The distance is what killed him. But there's a difference. There's, there, there's the same but different. Martha, uh, and they have different personalities, and we all have pers different personalities, and God loves us all. I'm sorry, I've been a little tough on Martha today, and if you like to associate yourself with Martha, please forgive me. You know, you can, you can take me aside later and tell me how wrong I've been. But Martha uh, emphasizes something here. This is the literal translation of the, of the order of the words as they appear in the Greek. Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, not would have died the brother of me. Her emphasis is the final word, me. Okay, that's Martha. I have a huge loss. It's your fault. You weren't here. Mary says, literally, Lord, if you had been here, not of me would have died the brother. So her emphasis is more on Lazarus. He wouldn't have died. And so you have these different minds, these different personalities struggling with the same thing. Both of them have faith, but both of them are flawed in their flesh. Asking the question or saying the statement, if, if death does this, death makes us say if. And some of you have been close enough to death that you've said those ifs. You play those scenarios in your mind. You couldn't sleep. You just lay there in bed thinking and thinking and thinking, if this, if that, if the doctor would have done this, if we'd have acted sooner, if this or that or the other, if, 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 then maybe. And you wish like anything that you could turn back time and make it different the nature of grief and you can do that in dreams but in real life time doesn't turn back and you can't change what happened if if the agonizing wish that things could have been different if you'd have been here he wouldn't have died time and distance and love in verse 35 it says that Jesus wept, and some of the people who would actually acknowledge the goodness in Jesus would say, look, he loved him. And other people said, no, 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 he, he didn't really love him because he, he, if a man could open the eyes of a blind man, why didn't he save him? Why didn't he heal him? So there's a doubt in the love of God, all these things he's got to overcome. And then there's this attitude and trust. Martha has a mouth. Mary has a heart. Man, when Jesus came there in verse 17 and, and Martha met him on the road, I bet Jesus wanted to turn around and go back on the other side of Jordan River. If you would have been here, come. Martha was temperamental. Remember when we first met her in Luke chapter 10? Will you tell my sister to get in here and help me cook? They're different people. And again, some of you probably identify more with Martha than Mary, and that's okay. God loves everybody. And guys, if you're married to a, Martha, a Mary and not a Martha, then you know your Mary doesn't even know where the kitchen is. It takes all kinds of people. Mary was emotional. Martha was temperamental. Mary, Martha was vocal and Mary was tearful. They both had the same question. Why weren't you here if you'd been here? 
And at this point, i got to tell you, we got to hold on to God's word, the word that's been spoken to us. God gave them a promise through, his, through a messenger. God gave them a promise. Jesus spoke this word and said, this is not going to end in death, but this is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. A messenger brought that message back to them. The question, why did he wait? Because he needed to eliminate these limitations of time, distance, love, trust, and personality flaws and failings and attitudes. Second question. Lord Jesus, what did you say? What did you say? Verse 21. Martha said, if you've been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. The promise, come on, think. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The Old Testament theology of afterlife and resurrection was not really well defined. The Sadducees themselves didn't even believe in the resurrection. But it's there in the Old Testament. It's just, it doesn't permeate the Old Testament like it does the New Testament. Remember Daniel? We had, a, we had a little time in Daniel not long ago. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 said, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Job. And we really have the, begin, the bookends of the Old Testament because Job is set in the oldest. It's the oldest book. Daniel has the most recent, the, most, the, the, the nearest prophecy. And Job 19.25, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, and I and not another. Now my heart yearns, how my heart yearns within me. It's there in the Old Testament. It's there with the patriarchs. It's there in the Psalms. But it's just not there a lot. And some of the people of Jesus' time didn't really understand the teaching of the Old Testament and resurrection. But Jesus taught his followers. Because you see what Martha says here. Verse 28. Martha goes to Mary and pulls her aside because this is supposed to be a secret. Jesus has, has waited out of town. And, and Martha has gone to get Mary to say, the teacher wants to see you. Come on. Pulls her aside. But the secret is poorly kept because Mary shoots out of the place like a, like a shot. And so sometimes, you know, our plans are not God's plans and Jesus wanted, God wanted a crowd there. And so this was not going to be done on the sly in secret. And he says, she says, the teacher is here. Now, this, this is so important because the Jewish rabbis would have never done what Jesus did. The Jewish rabbis would have never done what Jesus did. The Jewish rabbis would have never taught women. That was just women... In their way of thinking, I'm not saying this for me, please. In their way of thinking, women couldn't have handled it. 
Couldn't have comprehended it. It was too much for them to understand theological discussions. Women's place is in the home, serving the children and the men. Women were treated like beasts of burden. And Jesus did something beautiful in teaching women just like men. Uh, he valued everybody. And Martha is able to eloquently describe the, the teaching about the last day and the final resurrection, so much so that she could teach it to other people. This is unheard of. Jesus taught women like this. The rabbis never would have. Jesus said, I am. This is the fifth I am statement in the Gospel of John. He had said in chapter 5, I am the bread of life after feeding 5,000 people to get their attention. He said, I'm the bread of life. In chapter 8, he said, I'm the light of the world. After they celebrated the wandering in the wilderness and the, and the fire that led them at night, he said, I'm the light of the world. Follow me. In John 10, he said, I'm the door for the sheep. Who enters with me will have eternal life. John 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And number five here, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And every time he says, I am, he's saying, I'm God. You need to believe in me. If you believe in me, you'll live even though you die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. He'd said this before in chapter 8, verse 51. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Wrap that one around you. Whoever obeys my word will never see death. Chapter 5, verse 25. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And in the prologue, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I want to tell you right now, I want to tell you right now, and I want to tell you and you and you and you, you've got to come to Jesus Christ if you want to live forever. He is not a resurrection. He's not a way to eternal life. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And, and there's no other way. If you want to live forever, you've got to come through Jesus Christ who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And whoever lives and believes in me will, will, will never die. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Uh, <laughs> if you... Uh, the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die. And the gospel always comes with an invitation, doesn't it? Do you believe this? That's what he said. He gave the word and then he said, do you believe this? Because if you don't give the invitation after the gospel, then you haven't presented the gospel. What are they supposed to do? After we're done here, there's going to be a phone number on the screen. You can call. I hope you will. And talk to somebody because he's calling your name. And he wants you to be saved. He wants you to have eternal life. And there's going to be rooms back here in the back. It's our invitation. It's the best we can do. I'd like to greet you down here and hug your neck and pray with you and be thankful that you've come. But we don't get to do that right now. But there's an invitation. There has to be an invitation. Do you believe this? I use this in just about every funeral I do. I quote this 
passage, although I can never quote it right, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And when I say, do you believe this? And I talk to the people in the funeral, and I say, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? The people in the family who know Jesus, who believe this, are like, and in their mask, we had a funeral last Thursday, and, and some of the sweet people in that funeral, I, I only knew one person in the whole place, but, but uh, the, sweet person, the sweet people in that room I'd never known, but they knew Jesus, and they were like, and they were so happy because Jack and Jill and John and Joan in their family, they didn't know Jesus. They didn't believe it. And they were so thankful that Jack and Jill and John and Joan, who never go to church, who never hear this, were getting the chance once again to hear it. They were in the room in the presentation of the gospel. And you could see those people smiling, saying, Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing the gospel with my family. But so often in those times, Jack and Jill and John and Joan, when you say, Do you believe this? They go, Oh, yeah, here we go. Don't they? And they roll their eyes. And hurry up, man. Hurry up. There's potato salad and fried chicken at the house. But it comes with an invitation, and he is the resurrection. He is the life. Martha got it. Martha got it. She says, he says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe you're the one that came into the world. That's a good declaration. That's a good statement of faith, isn't it? Wonderful. And not only that, but she, she said it in the perfect tense of the verb, meaning I have believed, I will continue to believe. You're not going to shake me off this. I've, I've, I've planted my flag. I'm a believer. I always will be. Jesus, why did you wait to eliminate the limits of belief? What did you say? You said, I'm the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Third question. Lord Jesus, why did you cry? This is going to be worth the price of your admission. Why did you cry? Mary rushed to Jesus. She shot out of that house. In fact, the, the, the verbiage says that she was going forward towards Jesus before she actually stood up. Okay, I don't know if you've ever moved that fast trying to get somewhere that you actually went this way before you went that way. But that's what she did. And people were like, whoa, where's she going? We better follow her. Martha came wagging her finger, but Mary came and threw herself at his feet. And there's something we need to know about Mary. Every time we see Mary of Bethany, this is not Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany. Mary Bethany shows up in the Bible three times. And every time she shows up in the Bible, she's at the feet of Jesus. It's amazing. She's my shero. I want to be like Mary. I'm sorry. I, mean, I know I've got to be more manly and stuff. I've got to do Mary in a manly way, but she's always at the feet of Jesus. When we meet her in Luke chapter 10, she's at the feet of Jesus learning. And when we see her in the second time she shows up in John chapter 11, she's at the feet of Jesus pleading. And, and, and when we see her again in John chapter 12, she's going to be at the feet of Jesus worshiping. What else should we do but that? And Jesus told Martha, Mary has chosen the better way. Oh, to just stay at the feet of Jesus. Mary rushed to Jesus and she said, Oh, if you'd been here. Verse 33. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, 
he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This deeply moved is a word that we need to dig a little deeper in. It's the Greek word embremeomai, embremeomai, which means snort like a horse. When Jesus saw them wailing and mourning and groaning and weeping, he had a, an involuntary response in his body. It was a some sort of why? Why? It says that he's troubled. He's troubled. His troubled is, a, is, a, is the same word that's in John 5, 4, when it talks about the, the pool of Bethesda and the water bubbling up. This, something's happening in the heart of Jesus. What is happening to him that, that, there's, that he's so deeply troubled that he's got a snorting and, and this emotion is bubbling up inside of him in trouble. And, and then he cries. Why did he cry? There's, a, there's another word. That means a lot to me. I'll share it with you. And you find it. I found, I found it the first time I ever found this word. Was in Philippians 1 verse 8. When Paul says that I, I long for all of you. With the affection of Christ Jesus. The affection there is the Greek word splagnon. Guts. Organs. Liver. Spleen. Heart. Intestines. Guts. And Paul said that the, the, the affection of Christ Jesus is an affection that comes from the guts. It, it wells up. I don't, I don't know if you had the experience of having this deep pain, broken heart, loss that hurt you in your guts. Well, that's how he longs for us. That's the affection that he has for us. That's the love. It's black night. It's, it's the same word that, that is used to Jesus when it says that he had compassion on them like, like, like they were sheep without a shepherd. He cares for us that much. And so when he sees this loss, this hurt, this, this horrible, horrible pain going on all around him, it affects him. And the trouble in his heart, in his, in his guts, he just bubbles out to the involuntary... <laughs> I don't know what it sounded like. But it was evidence of his love. You need to think about it. Jesus, why did you cry? Why did you cry? Jesus isn't approaching this moment or these people with unfeeling disconnection. He could have. He could have said, I'll buck up, little campers, you big babies. Look what I'm about to do. But he never approached people strutting or arrogant or uncaring or condescending. He was well acquainted with grief and he mourned with those who mourn just like he tells us to do in the word. He loves us. He loves you. And not only was he grieved with them, but he was also angered. There's indignation in this my. Because of the ravages of sin and death and what the enemy has done to his sheep. There's, there's a bubbling. There's a force inside of him, a divine resolve of love and life and light. 
Why did he cry? Because he's about to burst wide open. That's why. Finally, Lord Jesus, what did you do? What did you do? Verse 38. Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And these stones, they only go one way. They aren't meant to come off. Take away this stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. For he's been there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? At death, at death, breathing has ceased. The heart stopped. The blood is no longer circulating. It pools. It pools in the lowest part. If the body's on, the, on its back, then the blood just stays there. Without oxygen... An excess of carbon dioxide causes the membranes in all our cells to rupture. The enzymes in those cells begin to eat the cells from the inside out. This produces a foul-smelling mixture of gases, the most prominent being sulfur, which makes the, the skin discolor. The body bloats. Foam and blood leak from the mouth and nose, and that's the first four days. That's what it's like. These people knew what death looked like. They didn't have the sanitary processes that we have now where we pay somebody to pump our loved ones full of formaldehyde and slap lipstick and rouge on them. They didn't have that. They knew what death looked like. They didn't want to see it. And they definitely didn't want to smell it. And it was in their heart to say, Jesus, leave Lazarus alone. Let's just not do this. But Jesus reminded Martha of his promise that this was not going to end in death, but it was going to bring glory to the Son of God. Jesus, what did you do? Verse 41, they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me, and believe is the whole point of all of this, that they might believe. And when he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! How long do you think it took? They all stand around and go, what's going to happen? Are they looking at each other like, this is a bad scene and I wish I wasn't here? How long did it take? Let me remind you again of chapter 5, verse 25. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, a time is coming. And it's now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so that he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. We've read that Jesus calls his own sheep by name. 
And Jesus has said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them, they'll never perish. I give them eternal life and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Lazarus! There was a breath. Can you imagine? And then the heart. And then pulled, coagulated, foul blood started circulating through that body again. Burst and decomposing cells are regenerated. We don't know where he was. We know to be absent from the body is to be pleasant with the Lord. He was in paradise with the Lord, but he was back. And his eyes opened. Jesus, what did you do? You know what we don't see here is the tearful reaction. Don't you wish we could see the tearful reaction? We don't see the joyful reunion. I would have loved to hear about heard about the joyful reunion. Lazarus. We don't see the stunned realization. All those people talking smack about our Lord. Can I say smack? I couldn't think of a better word. What just happened? What did you do? What we do see in verses 45 and 46 is that some believed and some opposed him. They went to the Pharisees to inform on him and try to get him arrested. What do we see here? We see that we need to believe. If you want to live and have eternal life, you've got to believe in Jesus. He's the only way. And he's proven that he has the power over sin and death. If you're not, if you're not a believer, please believe. And all you Marys and Marthas, all you disciples of Jesus, of different personalities, varied personalities, Remember his promises. He has spoken specific promises to each and every one of us. Things that we need to know for the troubles that we're having right now. So don't get overwhelmed. Just focus on the word of God. Let it be the lamp and light and guide to your life. And keep your eyes on his word. Some listening today have the stench of sin, decay, and death in their lives because of decisions they've made. Two things he leaves for people to do. One was move the stone away. He could have obliterated that stone. He could have made that stone just shatter in a million pieces or sent it out in outer space. But he told them, you guys move the stone. There's, there's parts of this that we personally have to do. And if we have made choices in our life that have bring the stench of shame and decay and we're hiding it in a cave... We've got to move the stone. We've got to move the stone so that the sunshine and his glory can come in. And another thing that we have to do, church, it says that we're to be the ones to help take the grave clothes 
off of them. There are people all bound up in filthy, awful, foul-smelling sin. And if Christ brings them to life, church, we got to help them get that foul stench of grave clothes off. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day and thank you for this time. I pray, God, for everyone who, who's been a part of this today, in the first, second, and the service, and the second service, and the third service, this one. God, that we'll trust you, we'll believe in you. We will be like Martha who said, I have believed in you and I will always believe in you. God, help us to grow in you. And, uh, and God, we pray that you will eliminate our limitations we place on you, that we might trust you fully. You can do it. We know that you can. Help us, Lord, to remember the promises that you've given us. And Lord, help us to open up the grave, the cave of shame, so that the glory of your sunshine can bring us back. We love you, Lord. Please be with this time of decision, and please be with us as we carry on the rest of this week. God, let your word find its place in our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.